Welcome to Integral Talks, a podcast series brought to you by Integra Advisors, where we dive into the world of compliance, risk management, and due diligence, and provide you with expert insight and analysis to help you make more informed business decisions. Hello, and welcome to Integral Talks, a monthly podcast series by Integra Advisors that delivers fresh, smart, and engaging conversations with leaders and stakeholders in and around what seems to be the most thankless role in the business world today, and that it's risk and compliance. My name is Alberto Laportilla, and I'm the president and CEO of Integra Advisors. Banks in South Florida have the unique position of operating as a community bank, but also as an international bank, given Miami's longstanding reputation as the gateway to the Americas and the Caribbean. Competing in the sector, gaining an advantage, differentiating yourself while maintaining a solid approach to governance and regulatory compliance is at the forefront of all major decisions for a CEO. Today, we have invited a very special guest to talk about the challenges, opportunities, and outlook for growth and expansion in the coming years. Calixto Garcia Velez is president and CEO of Varesco USA, a Florida state chartered bank with 3.4 billion in assets. He was recently named to the Florida Bankers Association's Board of Directors. He was also recently named a Banking and Finance 2023 Power Leader by the South Florida Business Journal in recognition of his influential executive leadership throughout South Florida. And welcome, Calixto. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Alberto. Thank you for having me on today. Yep. Thank you for, for participating. Very excited to have you um, as our guest this morning. So I want to start um, with just the, the latest news that uh, that I've seen in terms of what's happening in the with the financial sector and the banking sector. So there have been uh, stories of the um, FDIC and the Fed coming out with uh, new um, new requirements uh, of banks that's going to create tougher oversight. It's caused a, a, a bit of an effect on on bank stocks. Um, with with rising interest rates over the last year, that obviously has an impact on financial institutions. So, can you tell us? Uh, and 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 while some of these uh, oversight rules are more for larger you know, regional banks in the wake of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and uh, Signature Bank back in March, um, but just curious as to from your perspective, what sort of impact? has that had or do you see that having and is there do you expect that there be a trickle down effect from from these new uh sort of requirements from the fed there's no question that that i think it's going to impact all banks alberto uh the last few months have been very tumultuous unfortunately um i think it came out of left field for most bankers um and for most people you know the most recent uh turmoil in in the banking industry uh and it's unfortunate because i think that the banking industry is much, much, much more solid and much better positioned than it was, you know, pre-Great Recession going back to 2008. And so it created, I think, uh, some anxiety and some concern around um, bank safety for consumers and, and business owners. And, and so, yeah, it, it, it has affected all of us. From a regulatory standpoint, my expectation is that those new regulations will likely impact larger banks. Um, where we are positioned in South Florida and Puerto Rico, that we operate a full-service bank, um, you know, we are a community bank and we operate in the community bank space. And 
And we as community bankers are hoping that the regulators will differentiate uh, the size of banks, the complexity of the banks, the, li the, si the lines of businesses and business in which we operate so that they apply regulation in a way that, that makes sense and is fair to all. So my expectation is that the larger regionals will certainly have a much bigger impact, but it's impossible to think that it won't affect us all. Right, right. And so I, I know that uh, uh, your bank is, uh, is in, in growth mode and looking to expand and, and grow um, the deposit base. Um, and so how, how do you see sort of what are the best opportunities for for the bank for growth in the coming sorry, 12 to, to 24 months? We, we are certainly in growth mode. And, and as you know, Alberto, we, we were very fortunate. We were the only bank in the state of Florida and Puerto Rico to receive um, funds from a U.S. Treasury program called the Emergency Capital Investment Program or ESIP, uh, as it's known in the industry. And we were granted $250 million in perpetual capital uh, as a minority depository institution to accelerate the growth of our bank within the minority communities. And so we certainly have lots of capital to deploy. And as you leverage that, that's billions of dollars worth of lending that we can do over the course of the 10-year program. The beauty is that it's perpetual, so it does not have to get repaid. Right. Uh, we will pay a dividend to the, to the U.S. Treasury, uh, which is logical. But it's it, we can count on that money and how to scale the bank uh, for the long term. So that's some background. In addition to the fact that our we are a privately owned bank, and our owners also injected additional capital and have a commitment to continue to inject capital uh, over the next three years to further um, allow us or, or or give us the fuel for, for 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 the growth that we expect. Honestly. When the crisis, uh, if you want to call it that, began, uh, and I, I don't like to call it a crisis because it wasn't widespread. It was very controlled, right. right? So I shouldn't say crisis. I think when, when the turmoil began, right. <clears throat> uh, we, we, it was an all hands on deck. We really had to work with our teams to inform them and put together some talking points and, and some client communications that clearly explained why Banesco was different than what they were reading in the headlines. Things like... 65% of our depositors are FDIC insured, very different from the banks that failed. Um, the majority, we, our, our concentration of clients is much more granular, smaller clients. We don't have that huge you know, client profile, which some of these banks have failed had. We don't have <clears throat> those riskier profile in the, let's call it technology world from a lending and a leverage perspective. So we, right. we look more like a traditional community bank in right. South Florida, which is very right. different than a community bank and elsewhere in the United States. Sure. And so at, at the beginning, we lost a little bit of money that there was a flight to capital that we all read about. And the flight to capital was primarily to the national banks. Uh, but I have to tell you, it was minuscule in our case. And as time progressed and as we got the message out there of how we were different, interestingly enough, we started to pick up money mm. from other banks because there was a flight to quality. And when you look at our capital ratios and you look at our regulatory track record and the fact that the U.S. Treasury just invested $250 million in our bank, that was probably our biggest selling point to say, listen, if the U.S. Treasury entrusted us with $250 million worth of capital, Rest assured, they did their due diligence, and we are a a, a bank uh, in 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 a good safe position. Right, and so, and so it you, actually so, and it actually ended up being 
a positive for us yeah. uh, after the initial couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, can you can you tell uh, the the audience a little bit about um, sort of in terms again just to stay on this this the topic of, of growth? So, over the next say twelve to twenty four months, or maybe even further out, um, I know we have an election next year in the United States, and but but you know putting that aside, do you um, foresee uh, most of the growth coming from? domestic or do you see you know international growing more like how do you how do you foresee the growth coming you know domestic versus international market for your bank uh, so let me start by saying for our audience that may not know who Banesco is right so Banesco we are the US subsidiary of a larger financial group um, of Banesco banks um, we operate in Panama we operate in Dominican Republic Spain Portugal uh, Venezuela and a few other rep offices around the world. Every one of the banks within the Banesco families are independently run, independently owned. There's no holding company, there's no consolidation. So we are a, 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 an independent Florida chartered bank. But the fact that we have presence through our affiliates in other countries, it is very helpful for us and we could leverage that um, in terms of growth. And so to answer your question specifically, the beauty of being a South Florida-based bank and having the benefit of these banks' uh, affiliates overseas, we count on the international community for a great source of deposits. Um, our international clients are our most loyal clients. Um, they are here because they're looking for flight to quality safety. Uh, and certainly our bank fits that profile. And in Latin America, our brand is 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 fairly well known, and so that that certainly helps us from from sourcing new clients. They tend to be less. Um, uh, they tend to be, like I said, more loyal, less interest rate sensitive because their focus is on safety. Um, and so long as you provide them the level of service that they deserve and expect, um, they are very sticky deposits. Mm. Now. We don't lend in the region. Uh, we do not um, lend overseas because we are a Florida US chartered bank, but we do lend to these clients that, for example, may be buying a, a second home or uh, an apartment or a house in South Florida or somewhere for vacation or for their children who may live here. So we do provide foreign national loans. So that is something that we do provide for them. But our real big focus as a bank is on the commercial side. So we are very heavy in commercial real estate and commercial and industrial lending. So for those of you who don't know what um, commercial and industrial or CNI, as it's called in our industry, is lending money to operating companies. Um, and that's really where we are very strong. Um, we have a very nice uh, book of business and, um, and we're very proud of, of what we've built over time in, in that segment. Hmm. So um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, we, we have been we work a lot in Latin America, and uh, you know, one of the things I've always said is um, that um, you know we know the region. We, being in South Florida, know the region because we work with them day to day. And 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 every country is different. Uh, um, there's idiosyncrasies that that you know each country has, um, even culturally. That that so every country is different, and every country goes through their ups and downs. So. We have seen in the last couple of weeks where maybe a couple of months that there's been a lot of activity because there's elections coming up in multiple countries. Um, there was a 
sadly, an assassination of a candidate in Ecuador. There's been some allegations of corruption in Guatemala. There is a presidential candidate in Argentina who has talked about shutting down the central bank. Um, so political turmoil is something that as a uh, you know, CEO of a of a community bank that has a large exposure um, in Latin America has to, you know, deal with on a, on a regular basis. So how do you see that impacting your ability to yeah, impacting your growth strategy for for in Latin America, particularly? You know, Alberto, it's, it's a sad reality, but I think you and I both know that um, that's been the history of our region right. um, as as in our lifetimes. Right. Political uh, and Turmoil. economic yeah. um, ups and downs. And, and it's sad, but but it is reality. And um, unfortunately for those countries, but fortunately for South Florida banks, typically we benefit uh, on both sides of those swings, right? So when countries are booming and families and companies are making money, they tend to stock away some of their money or stash in, in Miami mm -hmm. um, as part of their safety, you know, keeping their money out of that, um, out of their country. And when the flip side, when there's political instability or economic instability in their country, they bring their safety money, mm. right? And so what's interesting to us, and in my 30-year career in banking, um, you see the waves, right? I remember in the 80s, it was both physical people's migration and money coming from Central America during the days of the revolution in Nicaragua, Sandinistas, etc. Um, and then you saw it uh, go to Colombia during the very tough years of you know, the, the, cartel. the cartels and, yeah. and the drug money, et cetera. Right. And then, you know, most recently, a couple of times in my career, we've seen waves of money coming from uh, Argentina uh, in search of safety, uh, not to mention Venezuela, of uh, which has always been probably the largest depositors in Miami from building Brickell Avenue back in the 80s during the boom of the oil years to fleeing the, the leftist revolution of, of Chavez. Correct. So bottom line, what I'm trying to say to you is good times or bad times, there's always a flow of money into South Florida, just from different countries. Right. Yeah. And it depends on what's happening. And so, yes, I and my team have to be very vigilant as to what's happening and where. But frankly, it's more from a where do we, where are the opportunities, right? Because when you see a leftist government get elected like in Colombia uh, most mm -hmm. recently, mm -hmm. we attack, right? We know our Colombian clients are anxious. And mm -hmm. so that's an opportunity for us. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we, we are very mindful, but because we don't have credit exposure in our U.S. bank, um, that's not much of a concern. But certainly our affiliates uh, in the region do obviously have that uh, that, 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 that different risk that we have. Right. Right. Um, so uh, just to stay on, uh, a little bit on this point and, um, it, it just drilled down on this, this one couple, couple of laws. I just want to, I'm curious to know from your perspective, how, you know, what sort of impact it's had on, on your bank. But, um, so there've been two, uh, laws that have been passed in the state of Florida. And and uh, so the first one I want to ask you about is, uh, I believe it's called chapter 2022-2023, which says that um, uh, select persons from foreign countries of concern, certain foreign countries concern, which include uh, Venezuela, Cuba, 
Russia, China, um, cannot directly or indirectly own property uh, in and around military installations and uh, ports, ports, yeah. airports, seaport. Yeah. Um, and while it's very specific that it says, you know, select persons from some of these countries, we have a very large Hispanic community and a very large percentage of that is Cuban um, and, and Venezuelan. So um, what, what sort of impact has that had? Uh, if any, on how you have um, tackled uh, potential lending strategies um, and, uh, you know, and, and relationships with, with these types of customers? But generally speaking, um, we have not seen an impact yet. Okay. And, and I'll focus on the yet because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a new law. And I think we're all trying to figure out how to navigate that. Now, South Florida banks have stopped lending years ago to Venezuelan nationals because there was a um, regulation passed that if your source of repayment came from Venezuela, you right. had to reserve 100% of your, of, your, of your loan amount. And I forget the name of that particular re um, regulation. So there hasn't been lending to Venezuelan nationals whose source of income comes from Venezuela for years. Mm. So I don't think that's going to be much of a concern. I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't lend to a Venezuelan who lives in South Florida or is a resident, a legal resident of South Florida. That's different. Right. right. So I don't know uh, what the long-term impact of that law is going to be. I think we're all trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, in South Florida, we don't have uh, too many Asians or Chinese investors. Um, we don't. We do have Russians, right. um, particularly in a certain part of the city, right? The northern end of, of Miami-Dade County. Right. does have a large Russian community, but again, with the sanctions due to the Ukrainian war, we're not lending to them anyway. Um, so I, I honestly, I think it's more of a political statement or a political play than it is mm. um, realistically going to be an impact. Yeah. Um, now, I, I do worry. Sorry, I, I yeah. to finish a thought here. Yeah. What I do worry about is if this remains on the books for a long time and if any one of these countries open up, how, how do we manage that? How do we monitor that distances mm -hmm. from seaports, for example, you know, um, it, it could get complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, the, the airport in Miami is, uh, right in the, right in the middle of the city and the, the, the seaport is, I mean, everything is within 20 minutes <laughs> drive time in, in Look, Miami. Realistically I mean, speaking, if, if there's if, no traffic, if, right. Of course, right. If there's no traffic, <laughs> but yeah. If any one of these, you know, let's call it, uh, uh, nationalities started to invest in South Florida. Right. And these laws got in the way. It basically would shut us down because there, I think, the radius around any one of those, as the law is written, would prohibit lending anywhere in South Florida. Right, right. Because all the all, all all the all the banks, you know, you and, and and all the other banks that operate in in Miami, they're all around, you know, very very near those those installations and, and yeah. uh, infrastructures. Um, you mentioned Russia, and I wanted to ask you about that. So, also, you know, obviously with the with Russian sanctions and happening it seems like there's updates and modifications to the block persons lists it's weekly and it happens two to three times a week on average just looking at the last few months of of uh, OFAC's uh, list uh, or, or especially designated nationals list updates um i know i think you mentioned that you don't really lend to russian russian entities or russian so so was it something you were doing previously i'm curious to know what sort of how that changed, if anything, and and what sort of impact that might have had or has had on on uh, on the bank. 
it's never been a niche of ours, um, mm-hmm. and it really has had no impact. Thankfully, yeah, yeah, thankfully, <laughs> yeah. Uh, because we know that there are a lot of Russian. Uh, but you mentioned second homes, right? We we know a lot of Russians having second homes here. Russian oligarchs having um, uh, real estate uh, here in, in in South Florida. So uh, yeah, ru- there is exposure in South Florida, but but it's fortunate that your bank is not part of that. So so kudos to to you on that. Um, and then I wanted to also ask you about another law, which is the the Florida uh, anti ESG bill that was um, uh, it became effective July one, I believe. And and during our last podcast, we interviewed um, two legal ex- experts, Carl Fernandez and Marina Oman, um, to talk about the challenges that banks face. And that's a little bit more complex because that that requires it's a, it's it's a law that essentially says that banks cannot apply um ESG which which stands for environmental social and and, and um, governance standards or criteria when they're opening an account i.e. gun manufacturer that in the past some banks have prohibited having relationships with um, because perhaps those types of, you know, that industry has not aligned with the corporate values of the of the of the bank or its shareholders um, is now um, prohibited in the state of Florida. Uh, you have to quantify pretty detailed uh, why it is you would not open an account. And so it's 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 started this process of financial institutions scrubbing their policy making sure that they don't have anything like that so and i know there was a there was an attestation that was requirement uh, i think july 1 uh, i'm sure that was submitted by by Bonesco. um but curious to know we heard from legal experts last month but now i'm curious to know from inside your perspective how you know what steps you can tell us that were taken and and, and what impact do you see that going forward in terms of your um your the types of customers that you want to work with um maybe i shouldn't say it but i will um i personally find the law to be intrusive Mm. um i think that it is overreaching uh, particularly if it's a privately owned bank um we shouldn't be mandated um things like that of what we can and cannot do is my personal opinion right um and the reality is i've been a banker like i said for over 30 years and there are good reasons why we may choose not to lend or do business with a certain industry um and the reality is that this law uh forced us and i think probably every bank that i know uh in speaking to my colleagues to have to modify their policies um i i'm going to give you an example I think you chose one that is pretty industry standard is gun manufacturers, gun distributors, because of all of the complexities that come with that industry. Um, banks, in my mind, every bank I've ever worked for has had that as prohibited industries, that those those policies have had to be modified. Things like pornography, uh, things like um, anything in the adult entertainment industry are pretty standard uh, in the banking industry. Uh, and there are select banks that may choose to to play in that in that role in that world, but um, uh, I, I was very disappointed to see that. I think we were all very displeased, and unfortunately, yeah, we did modify policies, and I did have to certify that uh, that the bank was in compliance. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I know. Uh, um, I hear what you're saying, and and yes, it's it's politics. Uh, unfortunately, that is. Uh, 
um, intruding in, in day-to-day business in the state of Florida. Um, and it is what it is, right? That's that's the world we live in today. It's We live in a, a very politically divisive world today. Um, so switching gears, um, we've talked also in the past and previous podcasts about fintech and digital technologies and digital payments and, and online banking and all. So um, do you... Where do you see a bank like Banesco? Um, what, 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 I mean, I know you, you're continuing forward on your on your strategy, but but do you do you feel like there is any kind of competitive um, concerns on your end with non bank financial institutions banking customers in say Latin America who normally wouldn't wouldn't be banked by you know a a, a Banesco? Say your Banesco affiliate in Panama or your Banesco affiliate in the DR. Um, so how do you how do you see that space uh, intruding, to use your word, uh, on on your day to day and your outlook for for the future? Look, I think it would be a huge mistake for a banker to stick their head in the sand and think that this is not going to impact our business. It already has. Right. Um, look, just look at the movement of money and payment platforms. Um, completely disrupted the industry, um, whether it be Zelle or Venmo or PayPal um, or just online banking and the ability to transfer money seamlessly um, or, or mobile banking, I should say. Fintechs have already disrupted our industry and they will continue to disrupt our industry. And so I think you have two ways, um, you know, you're we're at a crossroads. You either... Um, Put your head in the sand and think that it's not going to impact you. And I think those banks will be in big trouble. Or you can do what we've chosen to do, which is embrace it. Um, one, uh, one of our pillars of our banks uh, globally is innovation and technology. And so we've chosen to embrace it. We've chosen to partner with fintechs, um, leverage their technology, leverage their skill set, and bring it to our client base. Uh, and so I view it as an opportunity for us to evolve. And like they say, you know, you evolve or die. Yeah. And yeah. so we, I, I am a fervent believer in embracing fintech, uh, figuring out how to partner with them. How do we leverage it? How do we use the technology for the benefit of our clients? And we've done that. And, um, and it's proven to be very successful. And I think it's the right way to go. And do, do you, um, so you don't see it as uh, necessarily it's, you versus them it's you and them uh together collaborating working to service the financial needs of the marketplace sure i i do because i think for many fintechs partnering with banks is is a way to scale their business right uh, and i'm going to use an example right um zell um, lots of community banks really struggled with this zell product because um it's very hard to compete if you don't offer zell we were i believe if not the first or the second bank to offer Zelle to our Latin American clients. And so we chose to embrace it. Uh, we were early adapters and we raced to make it available to, to foreign clients. And that has proven to be a huge success because having Zelle, amazing how many of our clients have relatives or children, particularly in the United States, and the ability to transfer money uh, to family members or to providers. If you own a second home and you have a handyman or a pool service or your fumigator, mm -hmm. what you you name it, 
the ability to pay all of those people using the Zelle platform is a, is a big benefit. So uh, there's an example that we were early adapters. We were, we were quite frankly, very innovative and very, um, I think, revolutionary in getting that to our Latin American clients. And that's an example of having uh, worked out very well. So in addition to Zelle, are there other, do you, do you see other fintechs? Um, where else do you, do you see potential for your bank to leverage fintech uh, going forward? So you've talked well, about Zelle, um, which is a classic example, but going forward, where do you see more? Oh, another, another example is our, another example is our, <clears throat> is our, is our mobile banking and online banking platform that right. um, our core system, our core provider offered a solution. But frankly, um, you know, was okay for a community bank, but it wasn't great. Um, we chose to partner with, I think, the leading, the best online mobile banking provider. It's a U.S. fintech company. Um, we adopted that. Uh, so our clients, the, the platform that, that our clients are transacting in mobile and online is a fintech. And though they are very cutting edge and they're constantly... Um, bringing out new products and solutions, and so we could we could uh, very easily and very quickly roll that out to our clients. And so that that that's another example. And and frankly, not that you asked me, but um, we're seeing less and less volume of clients visiting branches every single day. Right. We've been saying this was going to happen since the days that the ATMs were introduced, and then we said it was going to happen when when online banking got introduced years ago, but didn't really happen. Now it's happening. And I think it's mobile banking and fintechs are, um, are the reason why it's happening. And obviously the pandemic was a huge um, uh, catalyst. Yeah, catalyst. That's right. the word for yeah, that. Sure. And so, <clears throat> you know, I think adopting and partnering with fintechs in this world where people aren't visiting branches because they don't have to, um, is a good thing. And, and it's interesting because, um, we know, um, growing up in South Florida and working in, in Latin America, our entire career, the, the face-to-face -face culture, uh, is traditionally very important in Latin America. I mean, going to a place like Panama or in Guatemala or in, you know, the uh, Dominican Republic and, and meeting with clients or potential yeah. clients face-to-face -face is, is, very valuable and very um it's it's a way to build a relationship it's the classic way and it's still a custom but um do you see that i mean i know you have the, the now the next generation of, of of latin american businessmen who are a little bit more um cutting edge and innovative and um, do you see that changing? I mean, are you still, you have, I know you have a, a, a thriving international practice and, and your team is still going out and visiting, right? Potential clients. Uh, um, do you see that changing now with this sort of next generation of Latin, uh, Latin American business uh, folks? Let me say it this way. I, I think in the past, it was <clears throat> essential. It was required. Right. You had to get on a plane and you had to visit your clients and you had to press the flesh, as we say, and yeah. and, and and see them and, and build that relationship. And, and you had to do it. You didn't have a choice. Uh, I think now it's more of an option because clients now can bank, you know, like we're saying, digitally, remotely and, and things like this. Right. Whether it be, sure. you know, using um, technology to meet with clients, it certainly plays a role. 
So I think it's a, <clears throat> while it's no longer essential and a requirement, I think it is important. And it's part of the relationship building. And it's part of the relationship building, not because you have to, because we can transact and we can do things via video or, or using technology and platforms. But nothing replaces the, as we say, breaking bread, um, visiting their families, visiting their, their offices, visiting their plants and their manufacturing facilities, and really understanding and getting to know who they are and what, the, and what, and what their business. And, and so, frankly, I think an important part of it is the recognition that their banker takes the time to get on a plane and go spend time with them shows our commitment and our interest. And I think, as you know, I do it. I accompany my bankers uh, to different countries because it's important that they know that they're important enough for me to get on a plane um, and for us to get on a plane and, and go spend time with them. Right, right. Um, and that's interesting. Um, so I want to, I want to, I want to ask you uh, just because you're in. It, it, it's very excited to have you on the podcast because you know this is the first time we interview a, a CEO of a bank, and and you're you're in a very unique and challenging position. Uh, South Florida, um, domestic, international. There's a lot of moving parts to 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 the the, the world of banking uh, from your perspective, regulatory, economic, what have you. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what keeps you up at night? Uh, is there anything that uh, you foresee that uh, you might 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 keep you up at night? I'm just curious uh, about that, just just to hear from your perspective, from a CEO perspective. But there's no question, um, and given your audience, the obvious answer, um, it's top three. I would say is is certainly you know BSA compliance, regulatory requirements. The complexities behind that, the fact that um, most U.S. banks have run away from the fire of international banking to avoid the complexities, and we're charging into the fire because we're comfortable that there's an opportunity here if you do it right. And so staying on it, making sure we are doing it right, we are not just abiding by regulation, but leading the industry with best practices. Um, and I think we do, and and we spend a lot of time and effort and money in making sure that we that we do that uh, is is really front and center for me. I think secondly, and it's cliche, everybody says it, cybersecurity, right. uh, big issue, right? I right. think that's something that you could wake up one morning and your and your and your world has changed, um, and um, so right. you never know if we're doing enough, right? We think we are. The experts tell us we are, but you don't know until something happens. I know. That's uh, true. So cybersecurity is, is certainly a concern. And it's from a business perspective. The other thing that concerns me is the rising cost of, of deposits. Um, uh, I think that uh, because of the uncertainty in the banking market earlier this year, we saw a, a, a huge increase uh, overnight of cost of funds. And it really is putting a lot of pressure on margins. And I believe that... Um, uh, if, 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 if the rate environment stays like it's forecasted to stay with elevated interest rates for some time, that's going to put significant pressure on bank earnings. Right. Okay. All right. Well, well, we've covered a lot of ground and I'm sure we can cover a lot more, but, um, I wanted to, um, begin wrapping up as we're, as we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you a, um, completely off the beaten path question and and it has to do with uh with music why because i'm a, I'm a music enthusiast 
avid fan of all kinds of music. Um, I was thinking, okay, well, what can I ask him uh, that's somewhat related, but but I'm going to keep it more uh, geographic. You and I are both from Miami, Florida, born and raised. Um, And so over the last uh, 30, 40 years, there's been a lot of music that's been produced out of Miami. So I wanted to ask you, put you on the spot. Um, oh God! Are, are there any? Are there, <laughs> uh, are there any? And I could, like, we could do this in a multiple choice if you'd like. But I, are there any specific? I'm getting nervous. I've been Miami-based artists that uh, jump out as as some of your favorite art music artists. Um, and I, you know what? Let's make this multiple choice. So <laughs> let's go back to like I'll the, you the I'll 70s. Tell you one. All right. All right. Okay, go, so ahead, go wanna, ahead. All right. Ahead. So, 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 so <laughs> most people wouldn't guess this, um, but I am a fan of Pitbull. Uh, Great. I think he revolutionized, um, you know, kind of uh, that category of, of music. Um, and I think he's an icon. And, um, and I, my kids always laugh about it, but, but I, but I enjoy it. I, I think Pitbull is, is brilliant. Mr. Mr. Worldwide. He used to be called Mr. 305 from, uh, exactly. from Hialeah. And now it's Mr. Worldwide. Uh, that's a great response. Um, so no need for multiple choice. That was, that was All uh, right. That's a great so I response. survived your question. Oh, God, <laughs> I did. was sweating that one. <laughs> you did. You did. And with a great, great response. Well, Calixto, thank you uh, today for your, your time and your insight. Um, uh, I appreciate it. Um, I know you're very busy. Um, and for those who are listening, uh, thank you for listening once again to our podcast. Stay tuned for our, our, our next podcast. Um, and with that, I'm going to say goodbye to Calixto. Thank and, you. And um, we'll see everybody again soon. Thank you. Thank you.